Hello, Liberty Jedi listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. Uh, full disclosure, this episode was supposed to go out before a previous episode on uh, the catechism and the liturgy. I released them out of order, so that's totally my fault, but it's everything is fixed now on our website and our podcast feed. So if you're following along with us in the catechism, everything is in the correct order now as we continue to go through the catechism on liturgy. Also, I want to let you know that we have a new pricing structure for our online study program. You can now do a monthly subscription and get access to every single course that we have for $37.99 a month. You can even get a free seven-day trial. If you want to find out more information about that, just check out all of our social media accounts. We've posted links to the new uh, monthly subscription model. Again, $37.99 a month, that's cheaper than half off. Uh, And if you're the type of person who likes to watch all of Dennis and Chris's courses, You can binge them now um, on our monthly subscription. So without further ado, another episode of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. All right. All right, so what are we doing? uh, Triple C? Triple C, A-S-A-P. All right. (laughs) I'm including that, by the way. That was awesome. (laughs) All right, guys. C-C-A-S-A-P. So we yeah. got. Uh, Didn't you do a rap once upon a time, Jesse? I did. I rapped about the liturgy, guys. Should I do a rap about yeah. the catechism of the about, Catholic Church? Yeah, about the, that's a rap. CCC, uh, you know me. Are you down A-S- with the CCC? AP. Yeah. So uh, we finished the introduction to uh, the catechism's introduction to the liturgy, and now we're on and chapter it was the one. Most fun thing ever. But not Ever. as fun not as fun as what we're going to do today, which is dive into chapter one of it. Article one, <sighs> chapter one, section on the liturgy. <laughs> Remember what catechism means from one of our etymology episodes? Oh, wait, before you answer that, we have people to thank. Oh, yeah. yeah. First, we have to thank Vicki Delaney. She sends us cherry pies and pie crusts and empanadas. And what else did, what did she send you? Well, she sent you Cheez-Its too, I think. Cheez-Its, Yeah. Man, I should have asked for emeralds and rubies and diamonds. And <laughs> Stick with the Cheez-Its. Yeah. Hey, Cheez-Its, are, you can't eat a diamond, right? So. You, you can, but you shouldn't. So thank you, Vicki Delaney from California. Yeah. I love when the mystery Vicki Delaney boxes come because I know there'll be something delicious inside. So <laughs> and I then, got them on the way to the dining hall, and then I shared the empanadas with the students right there in the dining hall. And it was like a little bit of home cooking for them, and they were all happy. Yeah. Anybody else? Did anybody else want to thank anybody else? Oh yeah, I do. I want to uh, give a shout out to the seminarians who are in the Diocese of Lacrosse House of Formation program. So some of them are in. I think they call this a propedeutic year. This kind of a preparatory year before Ooh. they go into the seminary, and others are on like a spiritual year. So I meet with them uh, and talk liturgy on Mondays and Thursdays. So there's ten of them, and it's uh, it's excellent. So, so what does that have to do with the liturgy guys? You just want to be nice to them? They're listeners. The... They're fans. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. How, so I mean, about how many pies worth of listeners are they? 
Well, none. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not taking them until they send me a pie. Their yeah. contributions are uh, yeah. not in the pie department. So yeah, they're lacking but. in the pastry department. So uh, get yeah. those pro deuteritical uh, dudes. Yeah. On get, it. get on that four meters. If your seminarians don't know how to make pies, forget it. No, no ordination for you. All right. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe we're talking about the Paschal mystery in the age of the church. Is that correct? Well, that is the title. That is of correct. The heading. Did Except, we talk about the age of the church yet? No, but can Last I do that? Do I'm it. excited do to it. do that. That's All an right. important thing. Well, the age of the church is the age between what they call the time of shadow, which is the Old Testament, and the time of the reality, which is the heavenly perfection. Um, sometimes called the age of the image. But it means Christ's body is resurrected. He's at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit so that the church can be the mystical body, his continuing action of, in the world. And... That's us. It's this age of the pilgrim church until we come to the heavenly future of the eternal looking at the face of God. How's that, Chris? I think that's pretty good. All right. Yeah, so Thank we you. are currently in the age of the church. Yeah. Did you did you ever hear this term before the catechism? I'm not sure. I never had. Did. Hmm. I didn't hear the term before today. So, <laughs> oh, that's not kidding. You, I'm, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I am kidding. I heard this uh -huh. in your uh, introduction to the sacred liturgy course oh yeah 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 for such an important term it's i don't know i'm, I'm late to the game on a lot of things so but uh, yeah. yeah know the age of the church know where you are know where you come from and know where you're going so right. what this catechism is going to do is talk about how the trinity works through the liturgy in the age of the church that's the section mm -hmm. so and, if you're wondering we sing in the mass you know, dying, you destroyed our death, rising, you restored our life, or we sing things like that. And you're like, well, why are we dying? Well, because the age of the church is still having the application of Christ's victory applied over time. But we know the victory is won, so we're in between. The, it's like when, you know, the, the war is over, but there's still some skirmishes at the edge of the uh, battlefield. You know the, the army has won, but there's still fighting going on. And so that's the age of the church. Anticipation of glory, but still working it out. Yeah, it's still, though, it reminds me, I think we've read this uh, in the liturgical movement class, Dennis, that uh, Hillenbrand piece on the new man. Uh, in fact, maybe we talked about it on a podcast. The age of the church is more awesome than the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the, the, the glory that we're awaiting. is not just something far off in the distance. It's also something you can participate in now for your sanctification right and that's the whole sacramental system right the whole the eucharist for instance we participate in it now even though it's a foretaste of this non-sacramental fullness that we'll have yeah. at the end of time yeah. so we're always doing something now as an anticipation and participation in the future now interestingly the section on paschal mystery starts out with the father which always cheers me up source and goal of the liturgy and i think a lot of catholics Maybe forget that. It's like, oh, well, we have a crucifix on the wall and we're receiving Christ's body. And I pray to Jesus and I ask the saints to you know, help me get to Jesus and make us Mary to lead me to Jesus. And then there's like, oh, Father, we don't know what that's about. <laughs> so remember the bride of the church has a head called Christ and the head is in dialogue with the Father through the love of the Holy Spirit. So we often forget that we have a goal. And a source uh, in the liturgy. So what do you have to say about that, Chris? Yeah, My genius well, friend. Yeah, this article one, as you're saying, it's uh, it, it begins with the work of the Trinity. So a couple of things there is pretty noteworthy and excellent. One is that remember what the word liturgy means. It's uh, uh, laus and an 
ergon or an ergia. It's a work. So the Trinity is still present and working. So that's one thing. Liturgy is work. Two is that um, you're right. The principal workers is not, you know, Father Bill or your bishop or the liturgist or whatever. It's the Trinity. They are doing, you know, 99% of the liturgical work and we're the ones that have to kind of come up and come in and fill in that uh, other 1%. So, yeah, work of the Trinity. And so what what they're going to do in this section of the Catechism, uh, it will say that, you know, in part one of the Catechism, the pre- profession of faith, it talks about the biggest picture, the economy of salvation. This age of the church is kind of like the last leg in the economy of salvation. But the economy of salvation is from coming forth from the hands of God and everything returning to God. So it covers... Uh, creation in the times of the promises of the old covenant and things like that. The age of the church or the sacramental economy is the kind of uh, uh, post-ascension work of Jesus to uh, the, the coming of heaven. And what the catechism says is that as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work in the largest sense in the history of salvation and the economy of salvation, they will work similarly in the liturgy. So if you were to go back and read in part one how God the Father works, how God the Son works, and how God the Holy Spirit works, this section here in part two is going to apply their work to the liturgy in particular. Yeah, and you know, to me it's interesting that paragraph 1077, it starts with that beautiful phrase, a set of phrases from Ephesians about um, the Father, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He destines us to be his sons, and you can extend that out to daughters, I suppose, if you like. But access to God the Father, access to the source of all good, the source of all being, the source of all love, the unbegotten, the eternal. And Christ is supposed to lead us to that. So, I mean, if you had to go see queen, the queen or the king or somebody and the, the handler was like, hey, I've cleared it. I've made it so that you're on the queen's schedule and I'll lead you in there and just say hello, but I'll do it all. Then, you know, hey, I'm getting access to the to the king or to the queen. You don't just stop with the handler and. Christ is God, right? So he's more than a handler. <laughs> but to remember that there's a goal and a destination, and it's also the source, which is the Father of all good things. Yeah. So the Father's the source of everything and the goal of everything in the biggest picture. And he's also that in the liturgies that um, <clears throat> we don't come to the liturgy without the Father first calling us. And the purpose of our going to the liturgy is to uh, kind of end up in the bosom of the Father to, to be with him. Now, they, uh, this would be good. Maybe we'll roll this out later if we do another uh, etymology uh, uh, podcast. Oh, we will. But it uh, 1078, it says, uh, so in 1077, it begins, as you said, Dennis, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1078, blessing is a divine and life-giving action, the source of which is the Father. His blessing is both word and gift. Footnote there too, and it gives you this uh, etymology. Mm-hmm. So in uh, Latin, a blessing is a benedictio, and in Greek, it's a eulogia. But both of those are means uh, to speak well or a good, good word, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And so in the, um, in the economy of salvation, the best word... The best, bestest blessing, the greatest. Jesse is eulogy. the best word. Uh, is well, you would say it's ontology, but I think. The, <laughs> well, it's the it's, it's the it's word, lo- the word in logia. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, in case that strikes you funny, like what does a word do? I mean, think about your own life. If 
if a parent belittles a child, says you're stupid, you're useless, you'll never become anything. Like those words are effective. And if they tell you, hey, you're great, you can make it, you know, don't give up, that can change your life. You have a great teacher or an inspiration. So that's a human participation in God's sharing, you know, of his own goodness with us and helping us become what we're supposed to become. Yeah, so in the in the larger economy, uh, the good word comes down and it bestows, you know, blessings and graces and things like that on behalf of God to us, and then takes us up into His own adoration and blessing of God the Father. And so in the liturgy, then the same sort of dynamic uh, happens: is that the good word comes from God the Father to bestow graces upon us in the liturgy, and that same word, who's the head of the church, takes our own love and adoration and what we want to give to God the Father and joins it to himself, takes our little words and our defective words and our, you know, uh, less than perfect words and kind of puts them with his own. And so when the church prays to the Father in that other direction, uh, our adoration is received uh, by him. You notice it hasn't said much about liturgy yet even though it's the liturgy section, right? It says, God the Father, blessing, all those words about blessing. But then it says in 1079, the liturgical poem of the first creation. What do you think that means, Chris, the liturgical poem of the first mm-hmm. creation? Well, I, I noticed that too, actually. Um, reading when I don't know the answer, I throw it to you. <laughs> well, I, I guess a couple of things. So when it ta- it's going to start with the liturgical poem of creation, and it's going to go through the time of the promises. It's going to go through the stories of the old covenant. It's going to come to uh, the incarnation of Christ and how he then um, calls the apostles and things like that. So a couple of things is what they're saying is that the larger work of God is this. Well, that's what it says. It's this vast, great, divine blessing. Now, the the word poem part, I think, is um, that, you know, the, the revelation of God, uh, I think, is not like a textbook. Uh, it's not, you know, cold and cognitive and didactic. Yeah. The, the, it's a love letter, uh, isn't it? A love, yeah, a love poem, a love a poem. song. It's a poem, sure. And he communicates not simply with our minds, with uh, but also with our hearts and this variety of, uh, of of different means and so i suppose you know if the if the larger economy of salvation is this poetic loving communication between god and his people through the logos then in the liturgy it should be something similar as well when you go to the liturgy you don't show up in a classroom you go to receive the revelation of the mystery the communication and communion of god through this artistic um Revelation that involves words, but also incense and music and architecture and beauty and all of the rest. So, well, the other thing about the other thing about this is that okay, so we have liturgy, which is work done on behalf of the people. So you have this poem that is done on behalf of the people, but you can't have that unless you have the people. So he has to create us in his image and likeness. But the thing where it says right after that, it says it's inspired the author's. the inspired authors proclaimed the plan of salvation as one vast mm-hmm. divine blessing, which shows the unity of this whole plan all the way from the beginning. So from the creation of, you know, the the sea and the sky and the sun, that was all part of the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, that uh, From that to that, 
from both ends, that's one yeah. entire blessing, which is such a cool concept. Well, think of your plan for Isaac or Agnes, you know, or you know, your, anybody's kids. Your whole life is giving them stuff. You bring them to existence, you feed them, you clothe them, you pay for their college, you pay for their braces, you discipline them, you love them, you sing to them. From the beginning to end, you just give, hopefully, especially on your best days, good words and <laughs> stuff, right? Now, we all have bad days, so it doesn't always work out perfectly because they'll, they'll hate you for it, for giving you everything. And you, God must feel <laughs> like that sometimes, it's like I gave you everything and all I do is say good words to you and you're not happy with me, but... Life always has these parallels, you know, the fatherness of God, the fatherhood of God is, is right here. I suppose the other the other direction, though, is uh, when uh, you get old and you can't take care of yourself, then all the, the braces and education and care that you gave to uh, to your son is going to come back and return to you. Yeah. And I, When they you know, buy your dentures. Well, exactly. So like in 1083, this isn't jumping. Well, so 1079, 80, 81, 82, they're, they're going to talk about the father's work as this great divine blessing. But at 1083, this dual dimension of Christian liturgy, and I think that's a really good takeaway point from this. See, a blessing is a two-way street. It's a good word from God to us, but that is reciprocated and returned from us to God. And that's why, you know, Jesus is the ultimate mediator because he can speak on behalf of God because he happens to be God and he can hear perfectly on behalf of man, which he is. And then he can reciprocate that on our behalf because he's one of us and then his word is received in heaven. So the economy of salvation is this dual dimension. The liturgy is this dual dimension where we receive the, the blessings and graces of God, but then, you know, not in an inert, passive, inactive way. You have to turn around and send it back to God. That's the dual dimension. Yeah. And, you know, my new favorite book of these days is Joseph Gillenow's Voices and Instruments in Christian Worship. He's oh, talking about. Oh, is it? I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, you wouldn't know. I haven't talked uh, about Downton Abbey in a long time. It's been replaced by Joseph Gillenow. But what does he say? The fundamental cry of existence is, I'm going to die. I'm alone. I'm in danger. I'm going to fall into non-being. And so you cry out, help me, help me, right? So this is the curie. But the call to, um, for a cry to help is already a desire to, for the good. It's already a desire to live. And then when you get the help, then you cry out in thanksgiving. So in a sense, we're all on the edge of non-existence in a way because God doesn't owe us existence. And whenever we feel sad, tired, worried, afraid, afraid of death, and you call out and God comes, the natural response is, thank you, right? It's the reception of the gift. So there's always a response. You know, if you're a decent person, there's always a response to the gift. Chris has never sent me a thank you card in his life, despite all the gifts I've given him. <laughs> but I am but, grateful to you, Dennis. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he, sometimes he sends a nice email or whatever. Hey, quick, quick, uh, just a quick aside, by the way. Dennis, you came to campus to film a class based a lot on the, these new things that you're learning from Jeleno, right? Yep. The and Theology so, of uh, Catholic Liturgical Music. And so this uh, Theology of Music class is going to go on sale the second week of December. So, really? uh, wow. So we're very excited to put that out there. So mark that in your get, calendar. You're, you're going to be able to get that edited in time? I mean, it's going to be a nightmare to edit I, that thing. Well, yeah, you know, with me. All you have to <laughs> do is not look at his face and directly into his <laughs> eyes, and then you, you will know, fall in love. But I have a trick. The trick is I had the lovely people at uh, Glass Darkly. They're going to be editing these courses for me. So thank, uh, shout out to Sam Sorich. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah and oh, Nancy Hetzel. Nancy Hetzel works at Mundelein, and she I call her the cookie lady because she works for a cookie company called Matt's Cookies. She brought all kinds of cookies. All I did was eat cookies for days after that. So thank you, Nancy. 
I thought your, voice sounded, sweet your voice sounded a little bit, I don't know, post-Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what I, didn't, I didn't catch that. What you said? <laughs> I, said, I thought your voice sounded like it had gained some weight. Oh, oh, cookies oh, 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 post Thanksgiving. And pie and, uh, <laughs> Your no, face no. looks like it really has gained some weight, though. <laughs> I do feel a little sleepy right now. I would, this weekend, I was in Columbus, Ohio, meeting with Dominican nuns. Uh, they used to be in Buffalo, and they have relocated to Ohio, so they're going to build a new monastery. So I spent the weekend with them. And I was in the airports and everything, so I'm a little gravelly today because I'm not quite awake yet. That Columbus airport's real small, too. Mm -hmm. so. Can't Even though it's 9.30 in the morning, it's not morning for me. <laughs> well, anyway, okay, so back to the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the catechism. Right, so what is this whole part about? God gives us stuff. God speaks to us. He speaks well. He transforms us. It says in 1082, the church, in the church's liturgy, the divine blessing is revealed and communicated. So there's lots of ways God can give you things, right? Personal illuminations, gifts, providential care. But like everything else, it's fully, at least on earth, fully communicated uh, in and revealed in the church's liturgy. You're talking to God as Christ and with Christ, the work of Christ being done, and you're part of Christ, or uh, at least as a member of the mystical body, you're participating in his action. And so mm -hmm. liturgy is the place to meet yeah, the man, yeah. right? We, d well. we did this in the last podcast, but in 1076, it uses that same kind of language that Christ manifests, makes present, and communicates his work of salvation through the liturgy of the church. And I, th you know, it's like to that comment you made before, Dennis, is that it doesn't even seem like this is talking about the liturgy. It's such a, I don't know, 35,000 foot view or whatever it is. But I think it, that's important because to be someone who's interested in the liturgy, I think there's a kind of a constant temptation to want to wade into the weeds of mm -hmm. did you see what that lector was wearing? Did yeah. You, did you his hear left that thumb was over his right thumb. You know, it, it's so. It's easy to get lost in the small things. Now, those small things are important because they're elements of the ritual, and that's the means through which these blessings come. So there's nothing insignificant, inconsequential in the liturgy. However, this this seeing the big picture, I mean, imagine that, <laughs> you know, it's Moses, for example, or David or Ruth any of these people, right? They're part of God's great economy, the story of salvation, the greatest story ever told. Well, so is uh, Agnes Weiler and uh, Lawrence Karstens. I mean, yeah. they're uh, as key in, uh, figures in God's plan as anybody. And that God speaks to Moses and Moses to God as one friend speaks to another. Isn't that uh, how it used to be? He said, well, I mean, when you go to the liturgy, God is speaking to you in as real a way as he spoke to Moses. And in fact, you might even say, well, what does it say at 1082? In the church's liturgy, as you read, Dennis, the divine blessing is fully revealed, not partially yeah. revealed as it had been. So I think, you know, rather than uh, getting tripped up on, you know, what the server's doing or how he's sitting or something like that, to... To, to bear in mind that what's happening in the liturgy is so magnificent and glorious, uh, a reality more real than these other shadows that we see mm -hmm. throughout uh, the rest of the week. So, yeah, that's, anyway. I, I, I let's, oh, go ahead, Jesse. 
I was going to say, I like how this is, so this is going to break down, spoiler alert, that we're, we're looking at the liturgy from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is the Father section. But um, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of the times, you know, that we hear God speaking, uh, principally, let's say, the baptism of Jesus, where he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so we have that liturgy there. We have the God's, we have God speaking, um, although I don't know that we know who can hear what is being said, but we know what's being said. And now principally, we're able to understand that and communicate with the Father in a better way through his son, through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it might not feel like that when you go to mass, oh, God's communicating to me because it seems like you're part of a of a ceremonial thing, which you are. And that's the way God has chosen to communicate. And this, the church always says he's chosen to communicate in the form of a rite. And that's for various reasons that we've talked about before. It has to be ritual so that we know what to do. It has to be common to everybody. Can you hear the music in the background? I can. I definitely <laughs> I can hear that. <laughs> My office is, uh, is right above some kind of recital room. So there's like an oboe and piano student final <laughs> recital going on. And uh, it doesn't sound like it's going well, but, you know, God bless them for trying. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be getting applause. Uh, yeah, you can cut that out. I don't want to offend our musical students. I don't even know what it was. Oh, yeah, it's in the form of a right. Yeah. So, you know, you have to know God the way that uh, is proper to us. That's not scary to us. Uh, you know, I think Dionysius, the pseudo-Areopagite, talks about the veiling of God's um, glory so that it, we won't get overwhelmed by it, which is why we need sacramental things. And so um, here you go. But the, the basic message is what? God loves us. He gives us stuff, stuff. He has a plan. He wants to keep giving us stuff. He wants us to offer it back to him in gratitude so that he can give us even more. And um, the last line of this section, what does it say here? By the power of the Holy Spirit, these divine blessings will bring forth the fruits of life to praise of his glorious face. To praise of his glorious face. Imagine if your kids were praising your glorious face, Jesse. You'd be like, wow. They don't doesn't even it want say, doesn't it his glorious grace? Oh, grace, yeah. Well, they can still glorify your face. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'm thinking of the face of God here. His glorious grace. Yeah. That's I think it's well, still that, there. That, but same idea. Wrong. That's same not wrong idea. either, though. I mean, that God now has a face. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we have the face bread. Remember? Yeah, from the Old Testament, the showbread or the face bread. And we have uh, we have the glorious face of the apostles as they're coming down from the transfiguration on the mountain. I mean, this yeah. is this is what we're we're supposed to start to look at. So right. I don't think that's a it could no, say it's, face. It's a, it's a Holy Spirit led uh, slip of the tongue. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably, it's it's God's grace. It's His glorious grace that I misspoke. But you know, leaving leaving this episode though, I mean, if there were if, if there were a quiz at the end of this. Yeah. You know, the, the question would be explain the work of God the Father in the liturgy. And I suppose that's maybe something worth meditating on as yeah. uh, as you wait for the next uh, podcast to come out. Explain to your kids or to your spouse or to a friend or something what God the Father how he is working in the celebration of the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Be better for it. He gives you stuff. He wants you to be more and better. He wants you to be with him forever and to be happy, exalted, delighted, glorified, divinized. He's got to have a delivery system for that. And uh, the liturgy is that principal one. Yeah, Jesse? I love it. And uh, next time we break open the catechism, we're going to talk about Christ's work in the liturgy, which is going to be super awesome. Uh, as awesome as the Father's work in the liturgy and the Spirit's work in the liturgy. But. Genius. Genius. So, uh, uh, hey, how about Jesse? I, 
Do we have a qu- liturgy question? No, no, no. We ran out. Oh, <laughs> we're, right. we're no, no, no. We have a liturgy question. Let's take a liturgy question. You, we'll take a liturgy question, and Dennis will take a nap. Not with his oboe <laughs> playing. I'm not. Are you kidding? That sounds really soothing. Let's it just get a little. Soothing, but can we get some room tone of just oboe? Like <laughs> then it's not so soothing. At least it's not a French horn. Am I right, mm-hmm. everybody? <laughs> Orchestra hey, hey, No, one, one, of the, one of the guys in the House of Formation, Kyle, uh, is a French horn player. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, played in the band in, Prince, in Princeton. Wow. Oh. Ivy League types, Dennis. All right. Well, shout out to Kyle, the French horn player. All right. Let's go to the question. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Okay, this week we have a question from Sean, and Sean says, what parts of the divine office are required to be prayed by deacons? All right. Well, I guess we'd have to make a distinction what kind of deacon we're talking about here. I mean, there's only one kind of deacon, really, but is it a uh, permanent deacon, as we say? Or, or a, a sub-deacon? What? No, well, yeah, <laughs> Stay out of there's stuff. a can of worms you just opened. But a uh, permanent deacon or a, a deacon who's on his way to priesthood, known as a transitional deacon. So I think, Chris, as we've looked this up, the permanent deacon one is fairly straightforward. The other ones are not as much. What do you say about permanent deacons? Chris Carstens, uh, my yeah, friend. Yeah, no, you're right. There's only one kind of deacon, but in terms of uh, the law that uh, binds them to pray the different hours, there's there's a distinction. So um, we could pull back the curtain, reveal how the sausage is being made here. Uh, we've been talking about this for about ten or fifteen Forever. minutes. Forever, right? Uh, trying to figure it out. It's yeah, not as clear as you would think. It is not. So, Dennis, you found that um, maybe the first place to start is the Code of Canon Law. Uh, Canon 276, paragraph 2, section 3, which says, Priests and deacons aspiring to the presbyterate, so those would be transitional deacons, are obliged to carry out the liturgy of the hours daily according to the proper and approved liturgical books. Permanent deacons, however, are to, be, are to carry out the same to the extent defined by the conference of bishops. Mm-hmm. So, as I say, this is where we start, but there's two questions in my mind that still linger. Let's take the second one first about what has at least the Conference of Bishops in the United States determined about permanent deacons. Dennis, you found something, didn't you? Yeah, it's, um, what do they call it, the complementary norm. So that, I guess, means the local decision is authorized by the universal norm. And that they are required to include, this is permanent deacons, uh, the Liturgy of the Hours known as morning prayer and evening prayer. That's it. I guess technically, ideally, they do it all. But because... Usually they have families and jobs and everything. They are only bound by law to do morning and evening prayer. All right. Now to the other question, 
It says, deacons aspiring to the presbyterate are obliged to carry out the liturgy of the hours daily according to the proper and liturgical books. Uh, the question that we were asking ourselves, does that mean each of the seven hours? So mm-hmm. uh, office of readings, morning prayer, mid-morning prayer, midday prayer, mid-afternoon prayer, evening prayer, and night prayer? Or does it mean something else? Um, what it says right. in the general instruction of the liturgy of the hours, this is at number 77, It says, outside choir, without prejudice to particular law, it is permitted to choose from the three hours, the daytime hours, the one most appropriate to the time of day, so that the tradition of prayer in the course of the day's work may be maintained. Uh, So again, they're talking about the the daytime prayers, mid-morning, mid-day, and mid-afternoon. it's my understanding, perhaps wrongly, but that uh, secular clergy or transitional deacons would choose one of those three hours. So that would, means they would have to pray, be, they'd be praying five of the hours. Of the That's in addition day. to morning prayer, evening prayer, office of readings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For a total of five hours. They, I don't think they have to do each of the, the three daytime hours, but to choose one, as, uh, as it says. Right. So, yeah. In addition to the others. I just want to make that clear. So this apparently somebody sent a dubium to the Congregation for Divine Worship in 2000 and asked this question. And in typical sort of Roman fashion, they said only an impoverished vision would look at this responsibility as fulfilling mere canonical <laughs> obligation. And then it sort of says it's basically the principle is everybody's supposed – I mean the priest is supposed to do the things they're bound to, right, which is the liturgy of the hours, I guess, with that – uh, clarification you just made, Chris. And then it gives examples of when they might be dispensed from it. So they're saying four masses a day. They're hearing hours of confession. They, they, it gives various reasons. But it basically, it says never out of laziness um, may they be um, omitted. But being merciful, the church says there are occasions. And that's all bound under law uh, there in 276. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the bishop can d- make certain dispensations too for right. his clergy and whatnot. Right. So. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. Good question. <laughs> yeah, call your vicar for clergy if you have uh, local questions. They hopefully will know. Well, Sean's got a couple other questions in this email that I know that you guys were but so... we're out of time. <laughs> well, Sean, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or you can tweet Dennis at... DMAC Super Taster. Or you can tweet us at Liturgy Guys. Or you could send a dubium to the Vatican about Chris Carson's involvement in the Liturgy Guys podcast, and inevitably he'll find out about it. So, <laughs> Only an impoverished vision would want to know why Chris does not have <laughs> Twitter. All right. Thank you, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.